So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 9 this morning and uh, read together uh, what the Lord is doing here. Let me set it up for you if I can and, and, and maybe give us a goal for when we leave. Just a moment ago, we read together uh, Psalm 96. When Pastor Jared was speaking about a song, it reminded me of an event I had when I was a child. I, I love music. I love to sing, but uh, I, I wasn't a real good singer and I hope that you didn't hear me this morning, as a matter of fact, even along those lines, because I got put in one of these plays, and I was excited to be put in a play as a child. Like, we're doing this play. It was called Down by the Creek Bank, and they gave me a role in this play. Anybody know it? Some of you are like, yeah. They gave me a role in this play that actually had a song in it, and I was terrified when I'd already said, yes, I, I'm in. Uh, my mom coerced me into doing that, you know. And so when I found out it was a song in it, I was like, this is crazy. I kid you not. You ever heard anybody sings monotone? I mean, like really monotone. That's my that's my singing then. And I had a I had a, just a wonderful lady to bring me to her house. My mom. She sat down on the piano. She would hit the note and she would sing this little this little lick in the song and and different notes. And she said, "Okay, you sing that." And I'd be like da 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 da. And that's the way I would sing. I mean, it was just like that. And finally, she got so frustrated. She just hit one note and she said, "Just match this note." She said, "I'm gonna." hit it until you bring out of your mouth what you hear out of this piano. And she kept hitting it, and I just, uh, it was like I couldn't even hear. And she kept hitting, and she said, this is a little low, and finally, I hit the note that she was hitting. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's the same. And it was just like this light came on, and so she was showing me exactly what it was that I was supposed to hit. This morning, we're in a section in Matthew's gospel where Matthew is closing a section about Jesus' ministry. As a matter of fact, it started back in chapter 4, verse 23. Some of you remember way back then where the Bible says Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. You've spent the last week studying Jesus' ministry of preaching and teaching and healing, and now we've come to the end of that section of Mark's gospel, and today the end of Mark 9 is a transition into Mark 10 where Jesus is going to send out and so what Matthew does last week and this week in your study is he has given us once again a summary of Jesus' ministry, his healing ministry last week that the king is here and he has authority over all disease, he has authority over demons, and he has authority over death. He is the king and, and he's given us a taste of the eternal kingdom. Somebody say amen. You've seen it. Jesus, when he was on the earth, we got to see what eternity is going to be like. Like disease can't stay when he's there. Death has no authority when Jesus was there. And we got a taste of that. We also got a taste of his teaching over the last months and weeks in your study of the, of the gospel of Matthew. Well, today, here's what he's doing. He's, Matthew's hitting that note. He's saying, let me show you what Jesus did. He's hitting the note over and over. I'm not at a piano. I'd hit it just so you could hear it. And he's saying, here's your model. Match it. Church, if you, if you have come to know Jesus, like over all of these weeks in your study, over all of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, he has done this ministry and he said, believe in me. Trust me. Follow me. 
He wants you to have faith in him. I'm the king. I'm giving you a taste of the kingdom. Now do this kind of ministry. And Matthew is going to show us a summary of Jesus' ministry. And then he's going to show us what we are to do. So he's going to summon his disciples at the beginning of chapter 10. And he's going to send them out after he gives us the summary. So I want you to know two things today. When you walk out of here in just a moment, I want you to know what is the model of ministry that we are to pattern our lives after. And what is the mandate of ministry that Jesus gives us? What is the model that he gives us? Like hitting that middle C on the piano. This is what you match, church. Do this. And then he's going to give you the mandate to actually do it. Hit this note, church. So he's going to show us that on this Mission Sunday. It's a great place to be in the gospel of Matthew. Let me invite you to hear the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, read through verse 15 of chapter 10. Let's go together. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading of it. Jesus shown us over these last chapters, and Matthew summarizes it here, a model of ministry that we are to match. He is saying, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit, here's what you're to do, church. If you have, if you have seen Jesus, right? You ended last week with this idea of, of these blind men who are desperate for Jesus. If, you've, if God's given you eyes to see, by the way, isn't it ironic that it's the blind men who actually see who Jesus is and respond, 
And it's the religious leaders who criticize him and, and attribute it to Satan, all that he's done. But if you can acknowledge your blindness and that Jesus is the only one who can give you true sight of the kingdom, then let me remind you, this is what Matthew's doing, let me remind you of his ministry. Let me show it to you. He's going to show us a model of ministry. And then he's going to say, watch what he does in chapter 10, the mandate of ministry. So let's jump in. First, the model. I'll try to move quickly through this because we're going to see it in chapter 10. So at the end of chapter 9, Jesus, this shepherd king who is here, who's shown us his authority, gives us a model for ministry. And I want you to see it in these two verses, verse 35 and verse 36. It's a threefold model for ministry. Hey, by the way, I'm going to ask you to help me today. So you're going to have to talk back to me a little bit as we do this. It's a threefold model, and I want you to know it. I want you to say it before you go out. So first part of it. You ready? He pursues. Jesus pursues the lost in their context. He pursues the lost in their context. Look at verse 35. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages... And then he does ministry. So I want you to stop there. He pursues the lost in their context. It's been Jesus' habit for the entire gospel. He's moving from place to place to place. As a matter of fact, if you read this gospel, he gets, he gets in a place, he does ministry, he gets so crowded that he has to go to another place. And, and here, we're told that he goes to all the towns and villages. One commentator tells us that there are probably 200 towns and villages in Galilee and Jesus is going from place to place to find those who are the lost sheep of Israel, those who are in need of him, those who are desperate. And so I just want to say to us this morning, Jesus' model of ministry is going. He is pursuing the lost wherever they are. And what did he do? He went in their synagogues. He went to where they were gathered. We've got to find where our people gathered, and that's where we go. Like, it's great for us to be in church together and sing together and worship together. This fills us up. But then he says, you go pursue the lost if you want to follow his model of ministry. Jesus is pursuing the lost in their context. Say that. Pursue the lost in their context. Well, you guys are doing a great job. Number two. Secondly, Jesus meets them at the point of their need. Note in verse 36, the compassion of our Savior. When he saw the crowds, let me just stop there. Remember, it's the religious leaders that are opposed to him. They're his enemy. They're attacking him. His disciples are with him. They've already left everything to follow him. So Jesus is seeing the crowds. That's why he's here. That's why he's going to the, the villages and the towns, the crowds. What did he see? He saw crowds that were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is why I made mention of the title, Shepherd King. Ezekiel chapter 34, God writes to his people and says the, sheep, the shepherd has abandoned God's flock, the flock of the people, the, the, the leaders, the religious leaders of Israel had abandoned the people. And God makes a promise in Ezekiel 34 to send his son. He says, I myself will shepherd my people. As a matter of fact, I would challenge you, go read Ezekiel 34 sometime today. Not now, we're in Matthew 9. But I'll read part of it for you. You read it later today, all right? Ezekiel 34, here's what God says. This is promise. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep and they have scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will feed them and I will bind up the injured 
And I will strengthen the weak. That's what God promised to do. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. So he is the shepherd king. He has ability to see them. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What's his response? Go back to verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because this was their condition. So Jesus pursues the lost in their context and he meets them at the point of their need. Aren't you glad that Jesus met you? He didn't say, hey, you got to clean your life up before I'll come to you. He's our shepherd who came to us in our distress, in our helpless state, and he redeemed us. The shepherd king has come to his suffering flock to provide for them what they need. You remember this. You've seen it. When, when the shepherd king is present, disease has no power. Demon have, demons have no power. D- uh, disaster has no power. Death cannot reign where he is. So meet them at the point of their need. Thirdly, Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom. Look at verse 35. At the end of that verse, we read the first part. He, what was he doing? He was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. So here's his threefold ministry. He's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel, and he's healing. This is the ministry of the shepherd king. It's the model for those who follow after him. So it's a threefold model. Matthew is ending this section the same way he began it. Jesus is teaching, proclaiming, and healing. And now at the end of this section where we've seen the ministry of our king, he reminds us, here's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching, he's proclaiming, and he's healing. What do you think we are to do? We're to do the same kinds of things. So notice Jesus' reaction when he sees this crowd. He says he has compassion on them, but his compassion leads him to say some things. And so So look at verse 37 at what he says. Then he said to his disciples, those who have already left everything and followed him, those who he's holding this model up for, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, I know that many of you have heard that all of your life. You've been in this text. You know what Jesus has said. You know what he's going to say after this. But I want you to stop for just a moment and reflect on the comparison that Jesus is trying to draw us to, a comparison between the harvest and the laborers. Now, I don't know if you've been around farming in your life. I spent most of my life without any experience of farming. I grew up in South Carolina, but it was not around farms. It was in the suburbs of, of Greenville, South Carolina. So I was around more of, of it, it's hard to call that big city. It's not a big city at all, but it's more city living, if you will. And I moved up here in 1996, and and I moved out. I got married in 98. My wife and I found a place to rent while I was a student out in a little town called Bunn, North Carolina. And Bunn, North Carolina is full of farms. Some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. You may have grown up around farming, but I was introduced to this idea of farming. I was 23 years old and really had no idea where any food or anything that I ever had came from. I'd never just thought about it, but when I started talking, 
talking to and, and pastoring, trying to shepherd some of these farmers, I found out that the harvest time is one of the most important times of the year. It gets you from year to year. Many farmers, they, they put everything they have financially and time-wise and effort and energy into that crop. And when that crop comes to fullness, when it's ready, when it's ripe and it's ready to harvest, there's no doing anything. There's no like, hey, let's go to the football game or let's take this trip to the beach or let's go out west. You put everything you are into the harvest. You've got to have laborers to go in the harvest. They have one thought when that time comes. Are my laborers going to show up today so that I can get in the field and bring the crop in? And Jesus here is saying, as I'm looking out over these distressed, desperate people, he's moved with compassion because he says the harvest is plentiful. It's time to go out with the message and reap the harvest of God. Notice in the text what he says in verse 37, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into whose harvest? I told you you're going to have to help me. Come on. You got a, you got a copy of the, of the Word of God. Whose harvest is it? It is His harvest. God's looking for laborers that would go. So He's the farmer. He's the one that has planted it. He's the one that sent His Spirit in the world to bring a harvest in. It belongs to Him, and He's inviting you and me to follow the model of Jesus to go into the harvest so that we can bring in the harvest. Jesus sees a great harvest, but he doesn't see many laborers. That's one of those places where you and I should just stop for a moment and feel the shock of that. There is a great harvest around the world. There are literally billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And they may not be across the planet. They may be more and more. It is a reality that they are working beside us, living beside us, shopping beside us, sitting at the court beside us or the field, and they don't have a clue who Jesus is. They don't know what you and I have studied over these last chapters that the king has come. And he is a shepherd king that wants to give them an eternity without disease, without disaster, without death. And they don't know. And Jesus says they're helpless and they're hopeless and they're harassed in this world. And the harvest is great. But he tells his disciples, and church, he's telling us this morning, the laborers are few. So Jesus has given us his model. When he was walking on the earth, he showed us what ministry looks like. Now he's shown us what the field looks like. What's next? He gives us the mandate. The mandate of Jesus' ministry starts for us right here. And it's, it's not a... It's not a difficult mandate. 
I told Pastor Jared this morning, I said, I, I wondered why you let me come alongside of you and ju- jump into your sermon series. Then I, I came back to this text and realized that you can't mess this text up. Like, Jesus gives the application. There are, there are two applications for us today, and Jesus gives them so clearly that you and I cannot mess them up. And they're so simple that you're going to say, man, I know that. But church, so many times you and I say we know that and then we walk on because it's going to cost you everything if you actually follow these two principles. And Jesus is going to give them to you. If Jesus looks around and says to us, hey, there's a harvest in Morrisville. There's a harvest in Raleigh. There's a harvest in Nepal. There's a harvest in Canada. And, and I, I want you to see that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. What do you think he's going to tell us? Like, I'm thinking the first thing he's going to say is, hey, church, go. But it's not the first thing he says. And I don't want us to miss Jesus' priority today because he says something before he says go. He gives us a clear mandate that I don't want you to miss. There there are two applications to this text, and they are the mandate of Jesus in our lives because he has now seen the harvest, and he looks to his disciples and he says, that is great. Somebody's got to get out there. Somebody has to go and reap what is out there in the world right now. So what does he say? I think he's saying go, but he doesn't. What does he say? Look at verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Who's the Lord of the harvest? His Father. And whose harvest is it? To send out labors into his harvest. He says something very simple, to pray. Pray. Church, in just a moment, we're going to have a time to respond to the Word of God. And it is, it is as simple a call as this. As a matter of fact, I, I dare say that Satan knows that if the people of God, if the people of Bayleaf get on their knees and pray for Nepal and Canada... In Thailand, Morrisville, Raleigh, Durham, Wake Forest. I'll put Youngsville in there. Pray for faith. If if we get on our knees and pray earnestly, that God's going to move. And so what what would he do? He would attack your prayer life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask the Spirit of God. I've already asked the Spirit of God to convict us here. How much time have you earnestly prayed that God would send laborers into the harvest? You see, it's it's a simple application, but it's life-changing. Like, this is what Jesus is saying for us to do. He is finishing his ministry. He is getting ready to send them out, and he's giving instruction. The first thing he says is pray that God would send out laborers. Bailey, here's my challenge to you. Would you risk it this morning that when we respond in just a moment, you would get on your knees and pray, God, send laborers to the harvest. Send laborers with Stephen Madsen in Morrisville that would be willing to drive just a little longer to get to church so that we could reach the harvest in Morrisville. 
Send laborers to Nepal. Send laborers to Thailand. Send laborers to Canada. Send laborers to my neighborhood. Send laborers to every ball field in this area. Send laborers to every marketplace in this area. God, would you send laborers into the harvest? Would you pray that? Would you risk enough to earnestly, that's what it says, earnestly pray God send laborers. But then secondly, he not only calls us to pray, he calls us to go. So in chapter 10, the beginning of the chapter, he summons. Look at verse 1. He calls to him the 12 disciples. These are the these are guys that already surrendered everything. So this is Bayleaf, right? So if you're a guest here today, God's summon for you is to come be a part of his kingdom. Like he wants you to know that he has power over disease and disaster. If, if you've not responded to the summons of God to come and trust him, that's his call. Would you, would you come today? Would you speak to a pastor right after this and know that your sins could be forgiven? Your hopeless state can be uh, changed, that God would speak hope into it. He'll give you a future and a hope, and that's because of Jesus Christ. But church, most of us in this room, I dare say, have responded to that summons. And what Jesus is doing with us is exactly what he's doing with the disciples. At the end of his ministry here, he summed it up. Here's my model. Here's what I've done. Matthew's reminding us. And then what Jesus does is he summons his disciples to him so that he can send them out. So don't miss that. All of those that Jesus summons... He sins. Would you look at your neighbor for just a moment and say to them, if you've been summoned by Jesus, you are sent by Jesus. Just look at your neighbor and tell them that. So Jesus calls his disciples together in order to send them out. Look at verse 5. So he gives us who they are. Uh, by the way, he calls them disciples in the first part, and then in the next verse, he calls them apostles. I love that, that Matthew's putting those together. I'll leave that for your pastor to get to you later, as I'm going to leave for the rest of it. In verse 5 through the end of this chapter, Jesus is going to give them instructions on what to do as they go. What I'm focusing us on this morning is the fact that he's telling them to go. So look at verse, verse 6. He says, in verse 6, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Some of you are getting caught up there and say, well, he said not to go yet to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans. That's because of this moment. After Jesus goes to the cross, he is buried and raised again on the third day. He will tell us in Matthew 28 this exact same thing, except then it's not just go to Israel, it's go to the nations. It's the same thing that Paul's going to tell us in Romans chapter 1 when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Jesus, the king, the shepherd king is here and he's telling his disciples, right now I'm sending you to Israel. But in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he's going to send all of us to the nations. So those who he summons, he sends. And he's sending them right now. And so you're going to look at that over the next week, maybe two weeks. I don't know how Jared's going to preach that. But he's going to, he's going to tell you these instructions that Jesus gives as his disciples go out. I want you to notice just maybe one thing about this. And I'll close. And that is that his sending them is to do 
the ministry model that he has taught them. So he's hitting the note, match this, match this. Now he commands them, here's what you're to do. Here's your ministry. After you pray, God send. Guess what God does when we pray that? This is why some of you won't pray it this morning. You're afraid he's going to send you. God, God, I'll go if, if I don't have to give up anything. God, I'll go if I can, if I can stay in my neighborhood and, and if I don't have to move, if I don't have to change my church. Or some of you, if I don't have to change my Sunday school class, Lord, I'll pray that you'll do that. I, I don't want to plant a new Sunday school class to reach other people that are coming in. I don't want to have to go to Nepal, but Lord, if you'll send others, just send us more seminary students, they'll go to Nepal. God very well may send you. But let me just remind you, he's shown us in all of these chapters, chapter 4 through chapter 9, what the king and his kingdom is about. And if, if, if that does what the Spirit wants to do in you, it is this. You're not made for here anyway. Like, let go of this life so that you can pray, God, send labors in the harvest. But if you grab on to this life, then you can't even pray that, much less go, much less here is called to go. Now, let me be clear. Some of you, he may be sending you to your neighbor. He may have put you in your neighborhood for this reason, to be his missionary there. Some of you... Like when you pray that, God's going God's to answer that prayer. Like he will answer the prayer if we'll pray, God send out labors. And it may be you. So if it is you, if it is your neighbor, or if it is Nepal for you, or if it is Canada for you, or if it is wherever for you, if it is Morrisville for you, how do I do ministry? Well, he's already given us the model. Aren't you glad Jesus gave us the model? And so that's what he's going to command to them. I want you to see it, and then I'm done. It's a three-fold model, and I want you to know it. For those he summons, he sends. And what he does, he says, pray and go. Here's the three-fold model. Number one, pursue the lost in their context. Would you believe Jesus says exactly that? Verse 6, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Go find those that I've lost. Remember Ezekiel 34, my sheep have been scattered. They're like sheep without a shepherd. So here's what he tells you, church. Go find them. Here's what you're doing. You're going into the context of lostness. And for many of us, that is next door. For some of us, it's the marketplace. For some of us, it's our job. For some of us, it's our home. I want you to see. Here's what Jesus is calling you to do. In this temporary world, he wants you to see your home as a missionary outpost. Can you no longer see yourself as just a member of Bayleaf Baptist Church, but a missionary of the Shepherd King? Which means your home now is a missionary outpost. It means your job and the marketplace are mission fields. I'm a missionary whenever I go to the marketplace. I'm a missionary whenever I go to my job. I belong to the king and I'm going to follow his model of ministry. So I'm going to pursue the lost wherever they are. If Jesus, the shepherd king, has come to heal and redeem the lost, then what do you think he wants his church to be doing? To go pursue the lost. So I want you to say it before we leave. Pursue the lost in their context. Say that with me. Pursue the lost in their context. Where? 
in their context. Wherever you find the lost, go to them. Secondly, practice Jesus' compassion. Look down at verse 8. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Now note this. He's saying go to the diseased, the dejected, and the demon-oppressed. Those who are outcasts. Those who nobody else will love. That's who you are to go to. Some of you, I hear you saying it right now in my head. Pastor, we can't heal the sick and I certainly can't raise the dead. No, the authority for, from Jesus, the king, was given to the disciples for that mission in Galilee... But remember this, your pastor said it to you again last week. Their greatest need was not their disease. If, if, if they healed that disease on this earth, then they died of something else. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus died of something else later. Our hope is not in this life. So when we get to their despair, their despair is not primarily in their physical need. We meet them in that physical need so that we can show them your greatest need is eternity is coming. Is that Jesus, Psalm 96, is going to judge the living and the dead. When he returns, we will all stand before him. So you go pursue the lost. And church, here it is. Practice the compassion of Jesus. Would you look at those around you? Find those who are suffering. Find those who are dejected, who are uh, 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 harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, those who are desperate and meet them in their suffering. Identify with them. Ask Jesus to give you his compassion so that you could look around you and say, Jesus, who is hopeless and helpless? Who is harassed? And can I come alongside of them, step into their need. Step into their suffering that I might show them the hope of the gospel. That's the call. So, pursue the lost in their context. Practice the compassion of Jesus. Say that one with me. Practice the compassion of Jesus. Thank you. Thirdly, you already know it. You've guessed it. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 7. He says, proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the message of John the Baptist. It's been the message of Jesus. And it is to be the message of his disciples until he comes. The kingdom has touched us on this earth in Jesus Christ. He's shown it to us. He's given us a taste of it. And now he says, you proclaim there's a greater kingdom that has already come in Jesus. There's a greater kingdom that is coming because he has risen and he has ascended to the father and preparing a place for us so that he could come back and show us fully that kingdom the shepherd king is here and he's seeking the lost and he's inviting you to be a part of that mission will you join him so bayleaf it's really simple pursue the lost in their context Practice the compassion of Jesus. Some of you today need to be praying, God, not only send labors into the harvest, but some of you need to be praying, Lord, give me compassion for those that I work with, for my neighbors, because I kind of look at them and I, I just look over them and I ignore them. Give me the compassion of Jesus. You practice the compassion of Jesus. And thirdly, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Say that one with me. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven. He gives instructions that I'm not even going to get into because I need to call you to respond. Pastor Jared will clear up everything next week that I messed up. 
But he gave me something so simple that I really just want to call you to it. If you have not responded to the summons of the king, then today that's our invitation to you. Would you put faith in the shepherd king who came to meet you in your suffering? If you're desperate, if you're suffering, we have pastors that will be right here at the front. When we respond in just a moment, our, we're going to sing, be a pastor here, meet us here. Afterward, you can go through those do- doorways to a, down a hallway to a place called Discover Bayleaf. We'll be glad to meet you there. If you don't know Jesus, that's our call. Church, if you know Jesus, then those he summons, he also sends. And our call as he sent us is to pray and to go. Pursue the lost. Practice the compassion of Jesus. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Let's let the Spirit draw us to be that kind of a people. Stand with me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing together. And I want to ask you to respond. If you need prayer this morning, there are people that are right here at the front and meet you for prayer. If you just need to talk to a pastor, then you come. You can meet us at a little room, Discover Bayleaf, right after or, or right now. Church, it's time for us to get serious with the Lord. He's given us the model. It's like he's hitting the note on the piano over and over, and he's saying, just match this. Just follow the model. Jesus gave it to you. What do you need to do to follow that model? Father, be with us this morning that we respond to your word. By the power of your spirit, we commit ourselves to you, to praying for the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers. God, would you do it? Would you do it from Bayleaf? Would you do it from faith? Would you raise up men and women, boys and girls, that would say, I will give everything to follow the model of ministry of Jesus, to pursue the lost, to practice compassion, to proclaim the kingdom. God, for some of us, that may mean that our relationships change in our home, our workplace, or the marketplace, or where we go to do recreation or our hobbies, or for some of us it may mean that we do go across the world. Spirit of God, would you put in us a trust in our shepherd king that our yes would be on the table. And would you send out laborers, we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org